Well, good evening, everyone. People here in the Zendo and people out there in Zoom land and Sheikh uh, Yassir. We're this is our third class in uh, on the the broad subject of what is a good life. And uh, let's start with some music. Let's start with the song that we were playing. Okay. This is a real, this is a treat for me to, uh, to get to play with Yassir. from the Gnawa repertoire of Moroccan music. And the words are not Arabic. They are Fulani or Hausa, that kind of language. And I just like the melody. Thank you. 
Language that you know? No. They're not in the language that I speak. It's in an African language? It's an African language. Either it's Fulani or Hausa. Either the people from the northern Nigeria or Senegal and Mali. Mm -hmm. So most of their descendants are in Marrakesh. Uh -huh. Because the big plaza called Jamal Fna, it's a big parking lot of. Plaza. It's a plaza, big plaza. They used to, at that time, thousand years ago, uh, slavery was there. Yeah. They make money out of it. And there is a big mosque called Kutubiya. It's the highest mosque in Marrakesh. You can't build something higher than that. Every Friday, 
when they finish Friday is the holiday. Mm -hmm. And so when they go to the prayer at noon, when they come out from there, there were some rich ones, Moroccans, especially some of the descendants of the Prophet, uh, our lineage. So when they go out to the plaza, they buy all the slaves that are there and say, you're free. Oh. They free them until they become no slaves anymore. And those Marrakesh, when you go there, the descendants of those that were slaves are now Moroccans. They are the one who brought this kind of music, the words and everything. Mm -hmm. So they, if you go to Marrakesh, you see them. They're there. That's the brief story. Thank you. Yeah. Oops. So Yasser was saying, um, we haven't talked about a good life yet. <laughs> so I wanted to, I came upon a, a quotation I'd like to read with you, read for you. Um, this is from an 11th century uh, Zen master, uh -huh. his, his comment on a, on a, a record or a saying of one of the earlier teachers. And he says, uh, the accomplishing work of great peace has no sign. The work of great peace has no sign. The family way of the peasants is the purest. Only concerned with village songs and festival drinking. So the, the accomplishing work of great peace, a good life, has no sign. It's just the, the simple life of the peasant, which is only concerned with festival village songs and festival drinking. Uh, so you could say that's a kind of spirit within uh, the heart of Zen Buddhism. Uh, you know, and that includes all of the elements of a good life, the, the elements of balance, the elements of wholesomeness, the elements of kindness, the elements of justice. They all are expressed in music like we were just playing. And in fact, in the way we play music, you know, we listen to each other we respond to each other, and uh, we give and take. So that, to me, that's, that's the mark of a good life that has nothing to do exactly with Buddhism, nothing to do exactly with Islam. It has to do with being human. Uh, so I like, I like that that uh, that line. It's only concerned with uh, village songs and festival drinking. So, what were you thinking about when you were uh, going to uh, share about a good life tonight? 
Well, first, I hope this mic is not blocking the zoomers. I think in the position it's in, it looks good. It's okay like this? Yeah, it looks okay. Okay. Well, for two Thursdays, I didn't speak about good life. I speak about everything else except good life. Because good life doesn't zoom or or points to Islam. Islam is something else. I'm talking about good life. From it, uh, I come to the first thing that what, what makes a good life to me, and I think to most people, is to have good health. If you're healthy, it's a good life. Because I know when I was sick how I felt. Even food becomes like eating cardboard. Or if you have a headache, or if you have any any sickness, makes you appreciate good life. Say, heart, feel healthy. So then you have to how to maintain your health is a, is a big deal here because people they jogging or they turn into the vegan eating only vegetables and fruits and they become aware that health is what at least the base of good life then you have the other stuff that goes with your physical body is your inner personality. Uh, how do you deal with the anxiety or depression, worries, all the stuff that are uh, not like your body, you can touch and you can see this unseen, this unseen stuff that we feel inside, grief, loneliness, boredom, how to deal with that? It's, a, it's something that you start to, after health, okay, what's the next step? How come I am healthy, I eat good, I wash my head, I weigh myself in the morning to see if my weight is getting too much, etc. We're looking at these things. For what? To maintain our physical health. Once you get into the rhythm of this, then what's left is all the other stuff. So we can say that there is other stuff that are inside of us. Uh, Rumi, when he spoke about that, this famous Sufi guy, Jalaluddin Rumi, he said, you have to pretend you are a guest house. I don't know if you heard this one, Rumi. No. He said, you pretend you are a guest on this planet. Mm -hmm. But you are not just a guest, you are a guest house. You are a house. Mm -hmm. And then, there is some guests, they come in. They come and go. They come and go. You have to welcome them all. Some, a guest is a depression coming to visit. You have to welcome it with a smile. Say, come, you are welcome. 
some is joy, some in meanness, some all kind of guests, they come. If you see them as guests, they are coming, it's easy. When they finish, they can go and you learn from them something. But if you don't see them as guests, you start to look at blaming yourself or blaming others for what happens. Then that gives you a different lifestyle and that can affect your health. Therefore, even if you watch what you're eating and you're doing the walks and doing everything, these things can make you, for example, can invade you and make you not to sleep. You all night long, you worry. So there the night is gone, you didn't sleep. So everything becomes, you become, you are behind the line. You want to catch up to your health again, your happiness. You know, it, um, so this idea of the guest house, yeah. this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. Uh, there's a, a verse from, again, one of our early teachers. Uh, we have this thing called the Bodhisattva vow. Uh, the vow, says, sentient beings are numberless. I vow to save them. So living beings are numberless, I've had to say them. What uh, one of the ancestors of Zen said, sentient beings of your mind are numberless. I've had to save them all. So it's, this is what you were saying about, you know, we're sitting in our room and a feeling comes over us. Uh, it could be anger, it could be joy, it could be sorrow. This is a sentient being of our mind. So it's it's a guest that, that's visiting the guest house. Yeah. And in order to take care of it, means we have to meet it respectfully. And we have to treat it in another expression we have, um, It says to look upon all beings as if they're your only child. So you, you take care of whatever, whatever feeling arises, whatever guest comes to the house, you meet it respectfully. Uh, and you try to put it at ease. And you also try to, as you were saying, you try to learn from it because it's teaching you something. Uh, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's very important. Because sometimes we want it. It's like the man who came to dinner. We want the guests to go away, right? <laughs> but um, to meet it respectfully. I like, I like that idea of a guest house. Yes. Can we um, actually raise the laptop? Sometimes the microphone, when it's positioned, it blocks your face. Yeah, so we can, there's, I think you can, you can, I can put a pop no, 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 you, oh, well, you can do that, or you can, it's got those screw things, which you could conceivably raise. Oh, maybe so. 
I'm just going to try and hold it while you do your thing. There we go. He's got a box. Why don't we just... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, don't use the pillow under here. It'll heat it up too much. How's that? Yeah, I would just be mindful of where the microphone lands. Um, and can it, the stand also be in the center of you both? And now I feel like I'm getting really nitpicky. Sorry. That's all right. Okay. That's better. But Hosan, we'll just have to monitor on your end when it comes to you. Okay. All right. This is better. These are these are the guests in the guest house. Yeah. Hi. It, yeah, it looks better now. Okay. That sounds nice. We want our guests. They are our hosts, also. They are our hosts. Too. Yeah. They're we are their guests. We are their guests. We go inside of them too. Um, so we're speaking about what makes a good life. And for two Thursdays, I was off. <laughs> I was completely out. So today I started saying, let's start from what is common to a human being to make a good life is your health first. Because you don't know about how your health is important until you get sick. If you get sick, then you understand how much you feel happy when you are, don't have any sickness, nothing. Therefore, we all are looking to be healthy. Mm -hmm. And that goes into the diet. And they, we have in our culture, few bites is enough. That's the minimum. If you have to eat, you must eat, then you have to divide your stomach into three parts. One part, food. One part, water or drinks. And one part, air. Mm. Air. This is if you have to eat. And then... Who doesn't have to eat? Everybody has. Yeah. We have to, to maintain this vehicle, this body. So if you keep that system of, if you have to eat, divide your stomach into three parts, food, drink, air. And it's better to, to eat less than even that. That's what keeps the body healthy. Also, we have fasting during the week. We can fast Monday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday. We fast from first light to sunset. That gives the body time to clear anything that is inside. Do you do that? Yes. Every Monday and Thursday? Yeah, except when I come here, I don't do that because I'm traveling. Okay. But I do. Yeah. So if you have a road you have to fix, there is a pot, pothole. 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 There is cars always going and coming and going and coming. You can't get to that pothole to fix it. Except if you stop the cars from going in that freeway. Our intestines is like a freeway. Always there is food there going, coming and going. If you fast, 
then your body has time to work on the potholes that are inside of you. And that's why fasting is, uh, is uh, very good for your health. Then we have once a year where we do the exercise of starving. That month is called Ramadan. I, I think you heard about Ramadan. And the, the, the effect of Ramadan is one month of getting your body to starve. You can find that your body is made to starve at least once a year. By its nature, it likes that. Then you clean up everything for your own health. But you eat after dark, right? Yes. And then when you think about eating after dark, it's one sunset. Yeah. And the sun goes under the horizon. Because you fast from first light, not the sunrise, first right. light. From first light to sunset, your, your stomach shrinks. Even though your eye, you want to eat a lot. As soon as you eat one date and one bowl of soup, you are totally full. By the time you want to eat again, you are sleeping. It's night. So you wake up before sunrise and you eat a tea, toast or something, then you fast again. You do it every day. At the end of that month, like in the fourth week, you start eating just a few dates and water and you're fine. Your body is fine. This is if you exercise it from the beginning. You start feeling you don't need to eat as much. And it's really an illusion for thinking that you have to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner. You start getting away with just breakfast and one meal. You feel good. Your body gets healthier. This is a, the, the traditional way of taking care of your health. So most of the sicknesses that come is from the things that we eat all the time that can make you sick. But here, people are, are really alert about that. You can see a lot of uh, people starting to do vegan, vegetables only, vegetarians, and also a lot of people do uh, walking. They have a name for exercise. it. Exercise. Exercise, jogging, but also just walking. What's that, uh, walking? What's the name? Trails. Hiking. 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 Who yeah. said hiking? Are you serious? Yes. You won 10 million dollars. Yes. Uh, he won 10 million dollars. <laughs> hiking. Hiking is so important. Hiking. It's, it's in the tradition to do hiking. Also, not to be attached to something that you do regularly, regularly, regularly. It becomes a, a, a pattern or you call it, let's say you have a favorite cup that you always want to use when you drink. If you're hiking and camping, then you don't use that cup anymore. You have something different. That breaks the routine. Sometimes you get into a routine. There is regularities and there is routine. Attachment to routine can make you sick. If you have a routine that you want to eat this kind of food at this day, 
all the time. It's like a habit. Habit. Habits. Habits can make a routine, and the routine can make you attached to, to them, and then you miss uh, to be present because you have it already done mentally. I'm going to do this, and this is my favorite cup, my favorite coffee, this, and that, and that. It's already planned. So you don't have creativity. That's why hiking and camping breaks the routine. Well, you know, um, in the Buddhist tradition, uh, in the monastic tradition where they're monks, mm -hmm. uh, first of all, every morning at light, they go out and they walk and beg for their food. And it doesn't matter what they like. They go from house to house and people put food in their bowls. And uh, for some monks, that's their one meal for the day. Mm. And whatever is placed in their begging bowls, that's their food. It's not a question of, you know, like, I like pizza, you know, or put a hamburger in my bowl. Yeah. No, it's like whatever they put in is, is what you eat. Yeah. And that's the, the monastic life is to be freed from your habits and your preferences and just to appreciate what's being given because all of this is being given. Our body is being given to us. Our food is being given to us. Our health is given or taken away. Uh, but we do our best to preserve it. But that's really, you know, when you go to, uh, if you go to Thailand, or you go to Sri Lanka, you see uh, monks walking around doing what they call alms round yeah. every day. And the people in a village or a town come out and they're prepared to offer to the monks and nuns. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Yes, I've seen that before. So, at least that's one step of what good life is. You have it, mm -hmm. number one. And I think people here are aware of this. The, the rest is the, the, the things that are not physical. Anger. Men they're mental. They're mental. Emotional. Something you cannot physically right. deal with. Grief, sadness, sorrow. But they're real. They're real. They can affect your health. Yes. Also. They can affect your health. And there was a sheikh who was invited to this wealthy guy who has a little palace. And when they were there, the, also the top minister of health all the hospitals was there and the sheikh was also there and the daughter of that wealthy man she had she fell and she had an epilepsy seizure and she was doing her, her epilepsy and then uh, the, the wealthy man he the sheikh said 
please come help my daughter. So he held her daughter like this, and he was reciting some verses from the Quran. He's reciting or something. And the minister he came to him, he said, that doesn't work. Have to look at what made her get into this. We are now in a in a science time where to find out what medicine is good for her and then we can cure her. We have medicines. This what you did, what you are doing, doesn't work. The same. So the Sheikh he turns to the wealthy man and said to him, who invite this donkey here? He called him a donkey. He said, there's a donkey with the clothes. Who invited him? That minister, his face became red and enraged. He became angry. Then he told him, if these words I said, I said, you are a donkey. Who invited you here? You are a donkey with the clothes, but you are really a donkey. These words made you like that. You don't think my words are going to affect her in a good way because they are, they are Allah's words from the Quran. Yeah. Look how I affected you with words. It's the same thing that I'm doing. So it shows you that also words have have effect on our bodies, and our happiness. Somebody can say one word, in the whole three days you are thinking about that word they say that, uh, that affects you. And it can make you sick also. Words. Yeah. Words are, are damaging. And that's why there's a lot of damage with politicians yelling at each other. Very, very bad. So we put emphasis that Communicating with words also are important. Uh, the prophet said, if you're going to say something, say something good, or don't say anything, because he knows the effect of words. In the Quran, are there many instructions about speech? Yes. Because I think that's, first of all, that's common um, in the Buddhist tradition. Yeah. And those, that's the hardest thing to, to work with is, is our speech. And also in the Jewish tradition, there, uh, there are the rules of what's called Loshan Nara, which is uh, wrong speech. It's unkind speech. Yeah. And so are there, there, there are shuras uh, and teachings in the Quran about speech? Yes. Share a couple of them. Uh, it speaks about speech of people that that covers the truth with lies and how they can affect other people. Yeah. I can't. Uh, Zoom to a right. particular verse at this time. We have we have we have rules in our precepts about not praising yourself at the expense of others, uh, not 
not slandering. Uh, in the Jewish tradition, there's a lot of uh, rules about uh, not telling untruths, even if they seem to be beneficial, you know, because it's always going to come back on you. Um, so we have, there's, there's lots of rules about speech and what the, what the Buddha's instruction was, uh, you should speak when what you are saying is true, useful, timely, and kind. True, useful, timely, and kind. You know, and it's interesting because when we think about that, uh, when I think about it, uh, in a precise way, I don't know what's true. Something that's true for me may not be true for you. Something that I think I'm saying that would be useful, I think would be useful to you, you may not think so, or it may be timely. All that I can know is, uh, is my intention kind? You know, do I, uh, or is my intention to sting you? So true, useful, timely, and kind. Those are, comes up again and again in the Buddha's early teachings. Yes, uh, what we call that is called, we call it Adam. Adam means this thing that you say. The whole thing is in one word, Adam. Adam also means good manners. Mm -hmm. Good manners. And uh, the prophet, he gave an instruction, he said, it's not the amount of prayers you do and this and fasting and all this stuff that's going to make you in the hereafter to be in a heavenly place. It's your Adam that takes you there. Can you spell Adab. that? Spell A-D-A-B. A-D, okay. Adam. What does that mean literally? Manners. Good manners. So, uh, not in the Quran, the Quran it speaks about that the Prophet is uh, on the top of good manners. But then he explains them in the Hadith all the manners. So if you want to, for Muslims, if you want to learn good manners, you look at how the Prophet did and said. So the Hadith is like commentaries? Is the commentaries, is the Prophet explaining the Quran. Okay. That's the Hadith. So in the Hadith you find all the good manners that are there. Let me Take a break and see if you yeah. have any questions. Questions here, questions out there in Zoom land. The Zoom Zoom here and Zoom Zoom there. Yeah, get some. Both of you have mentioned depression as something that might get in the way of the life or as a thing that can, um, that can stop a good life. How how do you learn from depression? What do you learn from depression, and how do you um, how do you go about benefiting from it? 
in some way. I think that for me, as somebody who has some experience of this, um, the main teaching that I find is the teaching of impermanence. That the state of that a state of mind is impermanent. And I think one of the one of the really tricky things about depression is that when you're experiencing it, it can feel uh, all encompassing and like it's always going to go on. That's always going to be, it's like, you're there, you're caught, you're always going to be in that, right? And what you can start examining, I think, is, uh, and I often say this, uh, this feels bad right now. And I understand, if I understand that states of mind are impermanent, then I can watch the unfolding of that impermanence and really try to note uh, the circumstances and the, and the occasions in which depression is not the defining characteristic. And so I, I always I bring that to mind uh, at, you know, in those dark moments, if that makes any sense. We, we call depression hem in Arabic, hem. When you have the hem inside of you, then you turn to, to the root. What brought it in? What causes this to happen? From where did it come? Then you turn yourself to do the prayers that Jonah did in the belly of the fish. If you know the story of Jonah. He was probably depressed in there. <laughs> it was not a good situation. Yes, no. <laughs> so it tells you there that you repeat this prayer, Jonah's prayer. He said, La ilaha illa anta. Subhanaka inni kuntum There's no one except you perfection you are. I was wrong. If you say that, then Allah understands that you're understanding and then he removes this depression from you. Also to say, Astaghfirullah, 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 these are the Astaghfirullah, I'm sorry, oh Allah, I'm sorry, oh Allah, maybe I did something that pulled this depression within me. So I'm asking forgiveness. Forgive me, oh God, forgive me, oh God. But we don't say it like that. We say, Astaghfirullah, 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 Astaghfirullah. Hundred times. I do it like 300 times. That removes him, depression. And also I do the prayer of Jonah. La ilaha illa anta. No one but you. Subhanak. Subhanak means absolute perfections. 
you don't become aware of the present moment. Because when you say Bismillah, it's it's just this moment. It brings you to the present. More like I think that's another way of mindfulness in Islam. Is to remembering Allah is you become present with him or with the energy. I hate to uh, give 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 Allah uh, any gender, but for conversation's sake, or you know, but um, just remembering the the saying Bismillah Rahman Rahim, it's a very powerful thing. So, yes. But I uh, also want to thank you. It's been a, a wonderful experience, and we've been waiting for you for a very long time. So glad that you, you you're here. So thank you. You're welcome. You. You said uh, everything that I believe, and that's what's, uh, what Islam offers, is these tools of presence. Yes. Even though when I entered here, I made sure to enter with my right foot. Yes, yes. Present. My father always said that, yes. <laughs> I leave, I'm going to leave with my left foot, so I know I am here. So yes. my mind is not ahead of me. And there is many, many little things. Even uh, we grow our nails, then you have to cut your nails. How can you, which way to cut your nail and be in presence, present? And which finger is the most important finger in your hands? So you cut them in a way of mindfulness. Otherwise you can just cut them and you're not aware, just cutting your nails. Yes, yes. But if you want to cut your nail with mindfulness, then you have to check your hands. Which hand is the one you are using in general more? The right hand. Which right. finger is the most important finger? Is the one that you can point to anybody. Who killed you? That one. <laughs> that means the index is important. Start with the important finger, the index. That keeps you mindful in your presence. After you do the index, do you go on your right side of the index or the left side? You go on the right side of your fingers, of your index. So you go like this to the pinky. When you get to the pinky, where do you go? You go to the other pinky and keep going until you finish with the thumb. So it makes a loop, a, a circle of mindfulness. Yes. Just cutting your nails. But like, put, So when you, when, at the end of the prayer, namaz, Yes. Uh, we put our hands on the on our lap and then we, we raise this finger. Yes. Right? And so what does that mean? What does that mean? That's the oneness that I believe uh, in. No, no duality. Yeah. It, there is only one that created us. Yeah. That's why most of the people, they have two legs only. They don't have three. Because the maker is the same. So you point to that and say, hmm. With your index. And you so have you're witnessing it. Witnessing it, and you have to look with your eyes, you have to look at that side. It keeps you humble when you pray. It keeps you look at your finger. And then you down. I, I witness there is no other deity except Allah. And that also keeps you present. Oh, there is so many. Yeah. Yes, yes. Thank you. One of the uh, one of the great uh, Zen masters, Gute, 
his entire teaching mechanism, his entire teaching method was this. Whatever anybody would ask him, he raised his index finger. Yes. And uh, he awakened many people that way. Uh, but Zen is complicated. It was once uh, he asked one of his students a question. The student raised his finger. He took a knife and he cut it in half. <laughs> because that was an imitation response. Yeah. Anyway, we don't do that here. No. We don't hit people. We don't cut cats in half. <laughs> we don't cut fingers off. But uh -huh. but that was Gute's one finger, very famous. Yeah. Other yeah. questions? I can't see if there's anything out there. Oh, there's, is that, Hannah, is your hand up? <laughs> Rumi, um, his poems, you know, mean a lot to many of us. Yeah. Is that teaching us Islam? Is that, is he speaking your truth? Absolutely. Because Rumi was a jurist before he got into mystical knowledge. He was knowing all the do's of the guardrails of the life he taken between the guardrails. He had to guard the do's and the don'ts. He was a, a jurist and a master in that before he started to explain. Most of the explanations that were tra translated by Bark. Mm -hmm. Coleman Bark, yeah. Coleman Bark. For people here to be able to digest that, he stripped Islam out of it to make it to make it to look eatable and digestible. But if you look at it, writing in Persian, you can see all the in of the prophet is there. He didn't the names of the prophets, the teachings, the teachings, yeah, the teaching of the prophet Muhammad. Because this word Muhammad was very allergic word to the European when Islam was problem. So they made sure to stick to that name anything negative instead of checking what he was teaching. They were, they were uh, not happy with that. And you can see that uh, this name, Muhammad, every family, when they have firstborn is a boy, you name Muhammad. So my biggest brother, the oldest one, and of course his name is Muhammad. All my uncles, when they have a son, they name Muhammad. Everything, Muhammad, Muhammad. But then we name other boys, Isa means Jesus, Musa means Moses, Daniel, uh, Dawood means David, Suleiman, Solomon, 
Yusuf, Joseph, and we have access on this universal names of all the prophets that came before us. We don't make differences between them. We love them all. And therefore, we can name after all these. The other people before us, they cannot name their son Muhammad. They cannot. Which people? The Christian and the Jews oh. behind us. They don't, they can't. Why? What does Yasir mean? Easy going. <laughs> Ask my wife. It's, a, it's not a prophet's nose. No, it's a companion. It's one of the companions of the prophet. So I have a prophet's name, you know. What's that name? Abraham. That's right. I have my son I named Abraham. That's, that's, my, that's my Jewish name. Yes. Yes. Anyway, in general, I'm saying, yeah. you don't find this name. And so the guy who made the translation from Rumi, he made sure not to uh, shake the people by introducing anything that has a connection with Islam. He mm -hmm. made sure to strip everything and then give Rumi only uh, as a mystical saint. And that's it. You don't look at what was his, his education, what did he do? He used to protect the country by going with his best horse all the way to the borders to fight against the Mongol at that time. He was not just like sitting down making poetry. He was active and he had tremendous knowledge of the mystical way of Islam, which we call Sufism. But before Sufism, he was a, a jurist. He didn't get into Sufism until he met his guru or his sheikh, whose, his name is Shamsu Tabriz. Shamsu Tabriz, you can find the 40 ways. What are they called, 40 ways of Shamsu Tabriz? The 40 the 40 Rules of Love by Shamsi Tabriz. You can find all that there. So I'd like to see that. Yes, 40 Rules I of Love. Okay, please. Do you have the 40 Rules of Love? So it must be possible then to find a version of Rumi's poems in English, which includes Muhammad? Definitely. There was a, one American guy, I know him, he wrote a book about this. And he used to do the twirling, you know, the spinning. Oh, dervish, the whirling dervishes? Who's yeah, that? dervish. Mm -hmm. I forgot his name. It's been years and years. Yeah. But he wrote a book about this matter. I see another hand from, looks like Carol, is that right? Yes, hi. Um, I had a question. We're talking about the good life. But what if you're struck down with some disability? Not to, you, you know, you, you maybe had a good diet all your life. Yeah. And so it's not through your own misbehavior, so to speak. How do you define, can they have a good life? And if so, how, 
how how do you define that good life is, without is, without good health? Is that kind of when bad things happen to good people? Is that the question? Well, I guess you could I guess you could put it that way. Maybe yeah. That's, anyway. that's another way to put it. How do you have a good life when you're when you're limited when you have ailments when you have yeah. big problems yeah but it depends it depends but you can have a good life i mean i know the first thing you're talking about is good health but some yeah. people don't have good health right so it's like well then when we talk in general good health yes this is our particular they're not general, but I have met people that had uh, their limb broken from an accident, mm -hmm. and then and they and they live a good life even though they had only no legs. They still were maintaining a good life. You can find that. They were not attached or blaming. They were just ex expressing expressing their inside happiness without attachment to what's missing. I never met some others that are miserable because they lost their leg or anything, but it's that's something that's something we can we can search for it. I don't know the the answer for this. Well, I mean sort of what you're saying is kind of accepting whatever you're dealt with. I met people and, and your attitude about it. Yeah, I met people like that. And then you don't feel they are missing anything because of the way they are. Yeah. Never felt they mess. They're missing something, or they're blaming. You you can forget that they have uh, no no legs yeah. because of the way they are. I don't know the acceptance. Which is, that's what that's what you're saying. They're accepting, acceptance. yes. They're accepting, but they're not saying it. I am happy because I'm I'm accepting. They're in different dimension. Mm. Mm. There are different dimensions. So it's, it's really, it hinges on your mind, your attitude towards yourself, your attitude towards the world, uh, irrespective of the, the, the particular circumstances. Yeah. The circ circumstances may be hard, but we still have opportunity to be grateful. Mm -hmm. We have opportunity to have faith. Mm -hmm. uh, that's always available to us. But because of our habits, some people are not able to, uh, not able to do that, which is uh, very sad. Yes. Yeah, 
there's a lot of details about this. So they are particular, they're not the general. When you come to the particularity, then uh, it needs a, a different way of understanding it. I, we, inside of us, we feel like, oh, we feel this empathy. Yeah, makes us feel empathy. But I met people on wheelchair, and they're my, our, my friend and everything. You never think they are on a wheelchair. <laughs> they are so happy and they do everything and everything. It never crossed my mind this person is unhappy because he's there that way. So how they carry themselves. Maybe their inside is what makes them be happy. No attachment to, to the home. The body becomes just, I used to live here and I live here and maybe my, my legs were not really my legs, I was using them. I would say people that have faith that are different than others. I never met others who have this blaming or depressed or doing something bad so far that I don't know. This is a good question. This is important because uh, as we see, as we're getting older, abilities that we have, even with the best of care about our health, our diet, our exercise, uh, we're subject to old age. Yeah. We're subject to illness. We're subject to, I was talking with somebody today, uh, you know, for years I sat uh, cross-legged and now I can't sit cross-legged anymore because my, my knees don't allow that. It's like Khadija's knee doesn't allow that. Yeah. So um, I sit in a chair and I don't don't curse the world because I can't sit cross-legged. You know, when that happened, I said, oh, okay, things have changed. How do I adjust to the circumstances that are in front of me? And that's, uh, that's a good way to live. It's, it's not always possible. Sometimes it may be very difficult, and sometimes you may grieve. But even with the grief, you can still you can find some acceptance because that's if you look. You know, when we're younger, we kind of we sort of assume we're immortal. We assume we're going to live forever and everything is going to work. But really, if we look around, it's very clear that that's not what the way things are, right? 
and that how is that a gift? How how is that difficult reality a gift to us? Maybe you have the answer. <laughs> what do you say? I think you, you make the best of what you have. And as we could just go back to attitude, because on the other hand, you could have really good health and be miserable. Yes. So it's all coming from within how you're holding things. And, you know, the I think a lot of it comes down to gratitude. Very being good. Grateful, being grateful yes. for what you have. Yes, and in our tradition or traditional knowledge, faith is made of two parts. One part is gratitude, and the other part is patience. That's what is makes. What, I'm sorry. What was the second part? Patience. Patience. Half is gratitude, and half is patience. Oh, that's that's good. Faith. And then in the image that we have in our traditional knowledge, you have to pretend you're holding a rope, but really this rope is your life. You're taking care of it and everything. It's like a rope. Mm -hmm. Your life is like a rope, you're holding it. But who's holding the rope from the top? Allah is holding that rope, which is your life. You're holding it like that. And then your feet, you don't know where is Allah going to move this rope <laughs> and descend you on a place. So you're in between where is your feet going to land and the rope that Allah is holding. You are in between them. So you always pray, oh Allah, and then you watch where are you going to put your foot? Oh Allah, make me, put me there, don't put me in a sickness or an accident or something that I can see. So you're always in between what we call dua. Dua is always saying, you're holding my life, I know you are, and you also can put me in any place you like. Please put me in a good place, a nice place. You keep that going, but your life is always holding on these two. And these two is gratitude when you look at Allah, thank you, and patience, watch what, where you're gonna put your foot, to watch your language, what you're gonna say. This is the nutshell of of, uh, of this whole thing you are saying. Thank you for that great teaching. May Allah bless you. You're welcome. Thank you for the great uh, question. Hello. Let's hear it. Um, it's been said that Good people of faith, uh, if, if, if good people of faith can't find a way to get along, everyone else is really in trouble. And um, what's being done here with the classes is uh, an example of interfaith. But what do we do in our in our personal lives, maybe to bring um, more understanding between people of different faiths, or even people of faith and, and, and no faith? Good manners. Important that you respect everyone because they are made by the Most High. You don't look down at them, look at them with that 
way. Respect. And the other one, love. If we use two ingredients, not just one, it has to be two. If we look at everybody with respect and love, or with love and respect, it can't be only one. It has to be both. Because you can love some other people the way they look, but you don't respect them. You can respect some people, but you don't love them. You have to have these two to make this, this work. Everybody carries with them love and respect for each being they see. So that can work. So I think that another manifestation of the love and respect uh, is justice. That um, the manifestation of love and respect in this world has to be justice, which means uh, to see the equality of all beings. And when you see something that is out of balance, which is the way justice is depicted as holding scales, then uh, it's one's responsibility to bring that into balance. And so that That's the aspect of the world. Everything is not in our minds. Things begin in our minds, but they take shape in the world. And when things are out of balance, we have to act. I'm thinking about uh, five years ago, uh, I went to Bangladesh uh, to these uh, Rohingya refugee camps uh, and so these are these are Islamic people who've been driven out of Burma and they're living there's a million people living in these sprawling camps and we had a, an interfaith witness to them and it included uh, Muslims Buddhists, Jews, Christians, Evangelicals, uh, Hindus, you know, and the common bond that we had was the respect and love that we had for all beings and to do what we could to and do what we can to restore that balance and actually to persist because that balance is still not restored. So not to turn your back on anyone, but to keep them in sight, which is very hard because it's frustrating. But I think that's what uh, love in action uh, looks like justice. So maybe that's a good, oh, one more, Tappy. I'm wondering, okay, from my perspective, much of, it feels almost overwhelming how out of balance the world is. And 
wondering I think there's a question about like our collective responsibility for that. Like it feels clear what path for me is, maybe. But it feels maybe a little bit alone. I know it's not crazy, but I'm wondering if you have a responsibility. I think um, we need to take care of our aloneness and recognize that that is a state of mind that you have some control over. Uh, and also, I really, really relate to this, this expression of Suzuki Roshi's uh, to shine one corner of the world. So it's not a question, there's, there's so much that can be so overwhelming to deal with. But to take one corner and shine your light on it, to take one thread, which is part of the entire tapestry, and work with that thread, weave it back into the fabric. Uh, that's our work. And I think it's really important to find people to do that work, to work together. Uh, which is why, you know, you go to, I was overwhelmed when I went to the mosque for the first time. Uh, because at the, at the end of the services, everybody kissed each other. All the men kissed all the men, all the women kissed all the women. It's like, I walked out of there like in a totally different state of mind, you know, uh, and that was the intimacy of a connection. And we have that intimacy here by sitting, sitting together. Uh, and so we need to attend to our collective work, our collective religiosity, our collective faith. So maybe that's a good place to stop. I think so. Let's, should we sing, meeting is over? Is everybody happy we can start doing the song? Okay, okay thumbs up. We did this the first night, and we'll do it again, because it's a good song. It comes from uh, the Appalachian tradition. I learned it from a woman named Jean Ritchie of, of Viper, Kentucky. Had the had the pleasure of recording this with us here.
Yes, here it's wonderful to be able to do this with you. Thank you so much for yeah. having me, for the people that came here in this silent place. Yes. It's very nice. All right. Have a good night. We'll see yes. you soon. Have a good night. Thank you for being there. Thank you very much. Salam alaikum. 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 Alaikum